the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But regardless of why Peter wanted to know God's will for John's life, Jesus made it very clear to Peter that he wasn't to be concerned about God's will for anyone else, not even his good friend, but for himself alone. You heard, Peter, what I said to you. You follow me. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. How many times have we been correcting a child only to have the child interrupt with, but what about so-and-so? What's our response? Mine has always been, well, we're not talking about so-and-so. We're talking about you. You let me worry about so-and-so. And not just with children. I had to do that more than once when I was supervising people in my previous job. I'm sure you're quite familiar with those situations, too. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where Pastor Steve serves as the teaching pastor. We are working our way verse by verse through Psalm 37 and have arrived at verse 27. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. But that was written for the Jews living in the Promised Land. How does it apply to 21st century Christians? We'll look today at a conversation Jesus had with Peter for some insight about how to respond to evil people and their apparent successes. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. So, when David, in Psalm 37, says to depart from evil, he's saying that those who are believers, and that's who he's writing to, they have to repent of their sin. Now, certainly the Bible calls us to repent of any sin that we are aware of, in our lives. However, the sin that was most glaring, the sin that was most prevalent in the lives of these people that he was writing to was the sin of envy and jealousy and anger. If you look at Psalm 37 again, I I already read to you verse one, do not be envious toward wrongdoers, but verse eight says, cease from anger, forsake wrath. See, what these people were struggling with was a covetous heart. They were longing for something that somebody else had. And covetousness, you know, it's a subtle sin. It's a sin of subtlety because it's easily concealed from others. Spurgeon said, I never have heard anybody ask for deliverance from covetousness. At least not publicly. It's a sin that's just not easily detected. Because why? It's an inner attitude. It's something inward. It's not an outward action. And the only way to turn from this attitude of longing for something that someone else has is to be content with what God has given you. And listen, the only way to be content, note this, is by recognizing that God is sovereign. God is sovereign and that whatever you have or whatever you don't have is what God has wisely ordained for your life. In John chapter 3, 
We have an excellent illustration of how to have a heart of contentment that is directly tied to a firm conviction in the sovereignty of God. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John, meaning his disciples came to John. And they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. I love that. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Now, what's going on here? John's disciples were jealous over the popularity of Jesus. John's disciples loved him. They didn't want anybody having more fame and popularity and more followers than him. They were trying to get John into a debate, a a contest with Jesus, to renounce Jesus, but John refused to let his disciples draw him into a rivalry with the Lord over who was baptizing more people because he understood that everything we have is a gift from our sovereign and wise and good God. Therefore, it is God's prerogative to give whatever he chooses to give us whether it be money or usefulness, fruitfulness for the Lord, popularity. So if some of us have less than others, it's because God has decreed that we have less than others. A man can have nothing unless it be given to him from heaven. Remember, it was John who said, he must increase, I must decrease. And really, folks, that's the way that all of us can overcome this temptation to covet what others have by believing that God knows exactly what he is doing in our lives, that he makes no mistakes, and that in his wisdom, he has sovereignly given us exactly what he wants us to have. Now, you may believe in the sovereignty of God, but you've got to believe your beliefs. It needs to become a conviction. So David tells us, That is, those who claim to follow the Lord, we are to depart from evil, all evil, and in this case, the evil of being covetous. But it's not only a forsaking of evil that's necessary for righteous living. That's just part of it. Because David goes on to tell us that in departing from evil, we are to do good. Verse 27, depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. Now, the question is, what is the good that David is talking about here? He doesn't explain it. He doesn't speak of a specific good that he has in mind. He just says, do good. So what is he talking about? Well, going back to verse 3, he used the same phrase, do good, and there he does tell us what he means, which is what he means here. Notice verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. The good that David is referring to is the good of obedience to God and his law. This is why he ties it together with dwelling in the land, the land of Israel, cultivating faithfulness, which literally means feeding 
on God's faithfulness. It's not their faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness he's talking about. See, as I've told you in previous messages, in the context here, you have to understand this is written to Jewish people, Jewish people in Israel. God had made a covenant with Israel that if they obeyed his word, Leviticus 26, they would be allowed to continue to dwell in the land that he had given them, that is the land of Israel. And to feed on his faithfulness means to trust him to be faithful in keeping his word about them continuing or dwelling in the land. Now, in verse 27, David is telling us essentially the same thing, that we are to pursue a lifestyle of obeying God by doing what his word says. That's what he's talking about. The good is the good of obedience. This is most critical most critical because obeying the word of God is really the acid test as to whether or not someone is a true Christian. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that his sheep hear his voice and they what? They follow him. See, true believers desire to obey their Lord and the general direction of their lives is to obey him. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the general direction, the desires to obey him. And when at times they don't obey him and they fall into sin, they don't stay there. They get up, they confess their sin, they repent, they get back on track. Now let me try to tie together for you something important concerning this sin of coveting with your own pursuit of obedience and following the Lord. John chapter 21, a fascinating dialogue between Jesus and Peter after the Lord's resurrection. This is right after he recommissioned him as an apostle. If you love me, tend to my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. This is following that. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. In these verses, Jesus is telling Peter that when he is an old man, he's going to die the death of a martyr. That's what he's talking about. History tells us that Peter died in the city of Rome by crucifixion, and tradition says that he was crucified at his own request upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way, right side up, that his Lord had died. Now, death by martyrdom was God's will for Peter Regardless of what the future held, Jesus said, Peter, you follow me. Yes, your death at the end of your life is going to be gruesome and horrible, but you follow me. Now, notice what Peter does immediately after Jesus reveals the kind of death that he would die. Verses 20 and 22, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, following him, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
Now, we don't know why Peter wanted to know what the future held for John, whether he was going to be martyred like him or not. I suspect that since Peter and John were good friends, he may have just been expressing concern for John's welfare. Is he going to die like this, Lord? I hope not. But regardless of why Peter wanted to know God's will for John's life, Jesus made it very clear to Peter that he wasn't to be concerned about God's will for anyone else, not even his good friend, but for himself alone. You heard, Peter, what I said to you, you follow me. If I want him to remain until I come, then what is that to you? You follow me. That's all you need to know. My will for him is unique. My will for you is unique. You follow me. And folks, that's really what David is saying in Psalm 37. Don't concern yourself with what God is doing in someone else's life. Even if he chooses to let them have more money and more things than you, you just depart from evil and you follow me. That's all. And for those who do that, David adds the last phrase of verse 27, so you will abide forever, meaning this. He's not talking in context about, uh, about eternal life. In context, he's saying as Jewish people, under God's covenant, if you do what's good in obeying him by keeping his covenant, then you will continue to abide forever in the land just as he promised you. Just to emphasize how faithful God is, In keeping his word about letting them remain in the land, David follows up this promise of abiding forever in Israel with a couple of verses that stress God's faithfulness. Notice verses 28, 29. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off, meaning they're cut off from the land. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Now with these words, David is assuring his people, that God does indeed keep his word, that he's faithful. When he says the Lord loves justice, he means the Lord loves his own justice. His own justice of doing what's right. That's what justice is, doing what's right. Doing what he said he would do. And what he said he would do in this context is to preserve the believers in Israel who obeyed him. He would not forsake them. They can stay and cultivate the land. However, he tells us that is not the case with those who are wicked, meaning unbelievers, or with their descendants who continue in their wicked unbelief. They, David says, will be cut off from the land, dispersed from it, while the righteous will continue to live in the land. Now, I realize that these specific promises of living in the land of Israel have no direct application to us today, because we are not Israel And we have not been given any promises concerning being blessed in the land that God has given to the children of Israel. However, in principle, the point that David is making is that obedience to the Lord does matter because God rewards the obedience of his people. So how does he do it? How does God reward us today for obeying him? Well, may I suggest to you that He rewards us with a clear and clean conscience. He rewards us with peace in our hearts, a peace that passes all human comprehension. He rewards us with incredible joy in communing and fellowshipping with him. Listen, the greatest reward 
of obeying Jesus is just knowing that our obedience pleased him. That our obedience brought him delight and pleasure. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He's talking about obedience. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he did not say work for your salvation, but mine it out, demonstrate it, live it out. For it is God who is at work, notice, in you, Both to will, he gives you the desire, and to work, he gives you the energy, notice this, for his good pleasure. Paul says that God gives us the desire and the power to obey him, and our obedience brings God pleasure. How incredible. That in itself is reward enough to think that there's something that we can do we puny little humans can do to give Almighty God some pleasure. I tell you, that is reward enough. That's a remarkable truth. And so in telling these believers how to, how to live righteously, David has told them to depart from evil and do the good works of obedience. But in the next few verses, he tells them a second way that they are to live. In addition to doing good works, they are to speak good words. Verses 30 and 31, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart, his steps do not slip. David tells us that God's people speak words of wisdom, they speak words of justice, which means that we speak those things that are biblically right and true. Now this doesn't mean that we necessarily walk about every day quoting Bible verses, but that the words that do come out of our mouths are words that are based on the truths and the principles of Scripture. And the reason we speak these things that are based on Scripture is because, as David tells us, the law of his God is in his heart. In other words, believers read God's word. It occupies their minds. It occupies their hearts so that it comes out of their mouths. Folks, this is critically important about godly living because what we put into our minds is going to come out of our speech. So be careful what you read. Be careful what you watch. Be careful about the music that you listen to. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what we ought to be speaking are biblical words of wisdom and righteousness rather than the foolishness of our world's wisdom. And watch this. Those who do think wisely and do speak wisely live wisely so that they are protected from falling into sin. Notice the last phrase of verse 31. His steps do not slip. Listen, what David is saying is that those who follow the Lord speak differently from those who are evildoers. And they speak differently from evildoers because they think differently from them. And the end result is that this is what keeps them from slipping into sin and living like the world lives. Folks, if you want to live a godly life, and every believer does, if you don't have a desire to live a godly life, you are not a believer. If you want to live a godly life distinct from the evil of the world, then you have to occupy your mind with Scripture.
The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, godly living is not an option for those who know the Lord. It's not an option. To accept Christ as Savior is to accept him as Lord. Your Lord. This is who he is. We don't divide him up. This is who he is. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't accept him as just Jesus. You accept him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that you are committed to repenting of your sin as a way of life and filling your mind with the word of God because he indeed is your Lord. And to those who don't know Christ, I say to you what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, repent, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning repent because the king is at hand. And he's at hand to save you if you will call upon him for salvation. Christ died for sinners just like you. If you repent and turn from your sin, if you're, if you're sick of your way of life and you're grieving over it and you hate your sin and you're ready to renounce it, do so and turn to Christ and be saved and be forgiven because Christ died for sinners just like you. Cast yourself upon his mercy and be saved. Let's bow for prayer. You have never trusted the Savior. I urge you to do that. Don't let a day go by. Don't let an hour go by without making sure that you know him because none of us knows when our time is up. Today, if you hear his voice calling in your heart, it's not an audible voice certainly, but a pulling, a tugging at your heart to repent and trust Christ, then do so. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you are a believer and you've not been living as righteously as you should be, then may God use his word to purify your hearts. And if, and if you look back at your life and you've claimed to know Christ, but you've never repented, there's never been a change in your life, then I say to you today, repent and believe the gospel. You have never been saved if there's never been a change in your life. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture, brief but very powerful. What you inspired David to write so many years ago is so relevant for us. Lord, help us. We live in a very dark world. Help us to live as your light. Help us, Lord, to live righteously, not only outwardly. If it were just outward, it would be legalism. We'd be no different than the Pharisees, but inwardly, Lord, to think differently, fill our minds with the word, to have godly attitudes, especially, Lord, the sin of coveting. I pray for anyone here who's struggling with this sin. I pray that what's been taught today would liberate them and they would, they would rest in your sovereignty and trust you and rest in you, and commit their ways to you. And rest in the great truth that you are not only sovereign, but you are good, you are wise, and that a man can have nothing except to be given to him from heaven. So Lord, thank you what we do have. Mostly thank you that we have Christ. Pray for those who are without him that you'll open their hearts, draw them to yourself, Lord. All of this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He isn't just Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Steve said, godly living is not a matter of choice for anyone who claims to know him as Savior. 
Jesus said that if we want to be his disciples, we need to pick up our cross and follow him. His expectations for obedience are high. But aren't you glad his mercy and grace are also extreme? Thanks for tuning in. This is Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study is titled, Fret Not Because of Evildoers, and comes from Psalm 37. Our program today was the conclusion of a three-part message given by Pastor Steve at Lakeside. If you'd like to hear the entire message at once, it's available for free on CD. Just call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Ask for message 5186, Fret Not Because of Evildoers, Part 6. That's 727-441-1714. You can also listen again to today's broadcast or any previous broadcast at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Feel free to browse and download any audio file you'd like from our message archive page. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I once heard about a young man who received a crate of chickens from his father. As the young man was starting to uncrate the chickens, the crate fell apart in his hands and the chickens scattered. The next day, he wrote to his dad and told him what happened. He said, I chased them all through our yard and the neighbor's yard, but I only caught 11 of them. His father wrote back, You did really well. I only sent six. (laughs) Sometimes, when things look especially grim, they turn out much better than you expected. On the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will continue our study of Psalm 37 as King David switches his focus back to the final outcome for the wicked. I hope you can join us. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.